stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I am your host, the Fantasy Cajun, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Mr. FF Littlefinger. Tonight, we're going to dive into some late-round sleepers for PPR formats. We're going to go through, uh, Vincent and I have identified a couple quarterbacks, uh, a couple people at each position that we're going to kind of talk about, people who have an ADP of higher than 100. And we are using uh, Yahoo ADP as the source here because that was really the only thing we could find, Vincent. Yeah, you know, you kind of shop around. Obviously, we have our own um, issues where we're sleepers. ADP is right now. Um, it kind of bounced around, but the only one giving a relatively accurate ADP right now seemed to be Yahoo's, and it seemed to do a pretty good representation. So um, I think we'll be able to get a just of it, and the names, you know, seem to make sense. And, you know, just, you know, I, some of these guys are going to come off as sleepers, and some of these guys are, you know, just kind of value picks that, definitely should exceed their ADP for one reason or another. They're pushed down the list and, you know, a couple of these guys may be falling asleep. A couple of these guys are just, you know, older, been there, done that, and just need to come back healthy. So I think we probably have a, a few different names and we probably have a few different opinions on. So looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 I'm looking, I'm sitting here kind of glancing at my list and I've kind of got a mixture of some, some veterans and some young guys. So, uh, all with, you know, really high ADPs, guys you're going to find in probably the ninth, tenth round or higher. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of these names that we'll probably talk about will uh, probably end up returning, you know, uh, a several rounds higher than where they're going to be drafted at in your, in your drafts come August. But, you know, we'll go ahead and kick it off. Um, we'll start it off at quarterback. Uh, my my two, uh, to me, two sleepers for quarterback and people you're going to be able to find late in draft. And let, let me just be real in here. Quarterback is probably the deepest position uh, in fantasy football. It's someone someone you can draft a quarterback in a double-digit round, and you could probably still get uh, top 12, 15 value depending on who you got. I mean, if you look at someone like Lamar Jackson, who was probably drafted in uh, your double-digit round. Vincent, you had him in one league. What, where round did you draft Lamar Jackson in? Yeah, I got Lamar really late. I probably took him around the 10th round. I actually, I stumbled across his ADP. Um, when I was looking at one of the other sites, um, and his ADP was somewhere is right around uh, 110 in uh, one of the other sites that I was using before when I was and realized I, when I had just started, I was under the 2019 numbers, which is why his ADP was so low. Um, that's why I text you, we need to find another list. So, you know, you're getting somebody, you know, around the, you know, 11th round that is going to probably win you a league. So I agree with what you're saying about quarterback being, being deep. My, you know, the way I kind of looked at it was who are two guys that could win you a league if they perform up to where I think they can, you know, in that quarterback. Because really, I strongly support taking any quarterback after the 10th round. So everybody should be a value quarterback. It's just kind of pick your poison. Yeah, and, you know, another name that, that kind of jumps off from last year, Ryan Tannehill, he wasn't even drafted last year. You picked him up as a free agent, and he probably won several people fancy championships last year. So there are quarterbacks to be had. You don't always have to jump from the Lamar Jackson and the Patrick Mahomes of the world. But what I'm saying is quarterback is deep. You can wait if you really want to and to really load up on some of those skill positions at running back and wide receivers. So uh, my first guy on my list is uh, Daniel Jones. He had a Yahoo, Yahoo ADP of 132.4. Uh, you know, when Daniel Jones was selected, you know, uh, Gettleman and the Giants got a lot of flack for taking uh, Daniel Jones here. Uh, you know, he came out of Duke, really wasn't heralded, was very smart quarterback coming out of Duke. Uh, didn't really have the gaudy stats, but, uh, you know, he takes over for Eli in the middle of the season last year, and he really doesn't have a bad rookie campaign. I mean, he threw for 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions over 3,000 yards. Now, he was kind of, you know, uh, he was kind of at peaks and valleys. You know, there was several games where he threw for four touchdowns, and then there were several games where he threw for no touchdowns or maybe uh, one touchdown to two interceptions. So he was very up and down that, uh, that last year. But, you know, you come into this year, you've got a healthy Saquon Barkley. They've added some pieces on the offensive line, you know, to 
protect Daniel Jones. Then you've got, you know, your receivers at uh, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, who I think can, you know, at the end of the season, Darius Slayton, I feel like, could be uh, a receiver that we're talking about as the wide receiver one for the Giants uh, coming to the end of the season because he already had a great rapport with Daniel Jones. And it kind of showed last year when he started, you know, lighting up, uh, lighting up the scoreboards with some touchdowns to, to Slayton. So, uh, you know, that's a weapon there with Evan Ingram. You have Golden Tate. Maybe he stays healthy. But there are pieces here in this offense with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones for Daniel Jones to take that next step. You know, you're always looking for who's going to be the next Russell Wilson, who's going to be the next Lamar Jackson this year. You know, Daniel Jones, one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't run the ball effectively like a Dan- like a Lamar Jackson, but he can get it done on the ground when he needs to. So there is a little bit of points to be had, but we're not talking Josh Allen here. So I really do feel like Daniel Jones has the potential to take that step, and he's someone you can get probably in the last round of your draft, maybe in you know 14th, 15th round, and someone who could potentially return top 12 value. Yeah, I, he has all the pieces around that you want. You know, he doesn't offer that um, that probably that upside that, you know, those running quarterbacks will, but, you know, neither do the two guys that I have on my list. So, yeah, I, I don't think that anybody we're, we're going to talk about is probably going to be your Lamar Jackson, but um, I know my two guys, I think that they're going to be top 10. I think Daniel Jones has an opportunity. The problem is that 20 people have a chance to be top 10, and Realistically, that's all the more reason to not take anybody as early. So, you know, I, I I know you've been real high on Daniel Jones. I'm really high on Daniel Jones' pieces. Therefore, I do think that, you know, if he can support them, there's going to be a lot of opportunity there to score points, especially if he can uh, limit in turning the ball over and everybody can stay relatively healthy. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, he's got he's got the potential. So we'll we'll see what happens. What uh, who do you have? Give, give me somebody off your list. So my first guy, you know, looking at somebody that can return significant value, and again, somebody you're looking at the last round. You know, right now for me, that's Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, he's taken in one twenty. You know, he's you know overall you know, really late probably undrafted by most leagues. You know, I'm looking at the ownership, and the ownership's always 98% because people get to the end of the draft and they're going to go with names they're familiar with, and obviously Ben is a familiar name. But 2018, uh, before he got hurt in 19, he finished the end of the season as the third highest fantasy quarterback. You know, now there are new pieces in town, but a lot of those pieces are still the same ones. And some of these receivers, you know, between James Washington and Deontay Johnson, have time to mature and grow. You know, I think Connor is a serviceable RB1 with a lot of serviceable backs that can catch the ball. So you may not get a RB1 in fantasy out of any of them, but all of them can support Ben along with Juju and the two other guys. You know, there's no reason if he's healthy. And everything you read about Ben, if they could put on pads today, Ben said he could put on pads. He's been out throwing. He said it's the first time that he's been able to throw without pain in years, which, you know, Ben has quite the reputation in history of getting hammered and, you know, really getting banged up and having a year off is almost like some of these running backs that take that year off and kind of get some legs underneath them and gives them a breather, whether they deserved it or wanted it or not. But having an elbow injury, you know, he wasn't necessarily limited in a lot of other regards. So, you know, he's coming back healthy. The Steelers are a well-run organization. And I think, you know, he's still going to walk into his offense and where he thrived, you know, the last season he was able to play. So I think that, Having somebody that late with a true top five upside is, you know, not, you know, I would say I'll go Ben and I'll pair him with somebody, maybe even pair him with somebody like Daniel Jones. So that maybe if Daniel Jones catches fire or Ben catches fire, you feel better about it. But I think starting week one, I'd, I'd like to see what Ben has and I'd feel pretty good about starting him. You know, we're sitting here talking about week one and Daniel Jones and Ben Roethlisberger. Do you know that these two play each other on Monday night football opening week of the season? That's it. And Monday night in New York, I'll, I'll take Ben on the road, freaking lighten up. First game back, they're going to have to score. New York's going to be ready. Uh, you know, I think, you know, it, it's shockingly, it might be a Giants game on primetime that maybe, you know, deliver some uh, fantasy implications. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see. I, I'm I'm real curious to see what happens. It, it certainly has uh, the potential makings for 
uh, an, an old an old man versus a young man showdown with the two quarterbacks here. And you know, I totally agree with what you're saying about Ben Roethlisberger. And you know, he has been known to have some monster years and monster games in in his past. You know, does he have another year left in him? I think he does. He, he certainly seems to like to be in some pretty good shape. He's out throwing the football, you know, as you said, without pain. And they have pieces there. You know, they had to have Juju Smith-Schuster. They've got Deontay Johnson. They've got James Washington. You know, and then they've got the trio of running backs. They added Anthony McFarland in the draft. So they've got some options there. And that offense, when it's get, when it gets going and Ben Roethlisberger gets going, that offense can start humming real quickly. And Juju Smith-Schuster could certainly be one of the beneficiaries of a healthy Ben Roethlisberger. Because let's be honest, Juju Smith-Schuster was one of the busts of the year last year when Ben Roethlisberger went down. Juju Smith-Schuster went down with him. Absolutely. So my next quarterback on the list I've got here is Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Teddy goes from the Saints over to the Carolina Panthers with the, with the new offense with Joe Brady. Matt Rule comes in from Baylor as the new head coach. And, you know, Teddy Bridgewater really walks into a pretty damn good situation. You know, he's got one of the most dynamic uh, running backs in the backfield behind him with Christian McCaffrey. He's got some young, talented receivers on the outside with D.J. Moore, Robbie Anderson. And then he's got Curtis Samuel on the slot. You know, then you add a young Ian Thomas who's been sitting behind Greg Olson for three years. You know, Adding up, adding up to that, and uh, you know that offense looks pretty, pretty studly. Um, I, I think Joe Brady coming over for LSU can Joe Brady work his magic with Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the real question mark. Uh, you know the the little time that Teddy got to play in New Orleans last year, he he certainly looked the part. Um, now it did look a little more game manager ish because he really didn't take a whole lot of risks. You know. You know, in those five games that he played for New Orleans, he threw for 1,380 yards uh, with nine touchdowns and two interceptions. So it's not numbers that really jump off the page at you. Um, but, you know, in this offense with this talent, you know, maybe they kind of take the take the reins off Teddy Bridgewater a little bit and let him make some more plays with his arms and his legs because he can take off and run and get you a couple first downs here and there. Not to say that he's going to be, you know, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, but he could probably put 30, 30 to 40 yards on, on a given game uh, running the football and getting, you know, that's three or four extra points. So uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, certainly has uh, an opportunity to certainly take that next step. Um, will he take the opportunity? You know, will he kind of finally show that you know he's fully recovered from his injury and he can go a whole season? You know, and he has a great opportunity here in Carolina with a new coaching uh, system with Matt Rule and Joe Brady. So it, it looks really interesting. He's got an ADP of one hundred eight point nine and Yahoo, which that puts him right around the tenth or eleventh round. Um, to me, if I would take if I'm taking Teddy Bridgewater, I would probably go and try to pair him with, along with someone, you know, maybe like a Ben Roethlisberger or someone else like you can kind of you can draft in one of the last rounds that'll kind of be there just in case because I'm not sure if can Teddy Bridgewater stay consistent. And I think that's going to be the big question mark for him. Yeah, I I kind of I guess I have a little bit different opinion because I do think he will be consistent. I just don't know if he's going to reach his upside. You know, I would hope that Teddy would come in and go to prove a point. You know, he's, he's earned his chance, I mean, another contract, chance to be a starter, chance to build a, you know, work a franchise around, not necessarily him, but he can be still the leader on the field, building the franchise around McCaffrey and their skilled players. And can he service it? You know, can he provide enough, you know, impact? Is he willing to take enough risk? Because that's the one thing, you know, the quarterbacks that dink and dunk it, you know, Brady, all of a sudden people are talking now he's going to be some, you know, he's going to be back to the Randy Moss years because now he has all these weapons. But the last two years, you never wanted to start Brady because he kind of game-managed it, and he didn't have the pieces around it. Now, Teddy has the pieces, but does he have the mindset or capabilities? And, you know, will Brady and will you know, will Joe Brady and will Rule let him play if not? You know, I know it's going to sound funny, but, you know, what's his name? P.J. Walker, you know, uh, ex-Matt Rule guy, comes over from XFL or whatever the hell it was, and, you know, he's on the team. Not that he's threatening to take Teddy's position, but he's a very dynamic guy. And, you know, they brought in Teddy, but, you know, the NFL is what have you done for me lately. And if they get behind the eight ball early in the season, because that defense is still terrible, Teddy should have to throw, but will he throw the high percentage, the high, you know, 
uh, fantasy point throws, or is it going to be dink and dunk? And, you know, we're still going to have value for McCaffrey and DJ Moore. But I think if Robbie Anderson is a value in fantasy this year, it's because your pick of Bridgewater is paying off. Bridgewater is doing what needs to be done, and Robbie Anderson is going to have fantasy value. If Robbie Anderson has zero fantasy value, that means Teddy is probably not doing a good enough job from a fantasy standpoint, or maybe they're just turning it around and handing it to McCaffrey 25 times a game. Yeah, and that's I think that's kind of the worry with Teddy Bridgewater. Will he, you know, take that next step and become an elite quarterback? Because he certainly has all the talent around him. So that's really the big question mark around around Teddy Bridgewater. And you know, it's a good reason why he's being drafted where he is. So um, he does have the potential. He does have the upside with the talent around him. And just a matter of can he actually take that step forward? So um, Vincent, who else you got on your list over there for quarterback? Well, mine's going to be a no surprise to anybody, but I brought the numbers tonight to back up my freaking bias. And, you know, my guy, I'm going to go Stafford. You know, you can get him whenever you want. You know, 115 overall, 12 rounds. You know, he still has a high ownership percentage on Yahoo because of the name. So somebody is going to take him late. So unlike our mock the other day where I did get him as my last pick overall, you probably will have to go, you know, 12, 13 and make sure you get him. But before he hurt his back last year, Stafford was on pace for 38 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. They said if the season, if he had to put on pads today, still months out of the regular season, he is ready to go. You know, he was healed towards the back end of last year. They flirted with the comeback. The Lions were way out of it and they completely let it go. You know, another thing that goes um, untalked about is Darren Bevel came in as the new OC last year. So it was a new offense, and then we saw with Ben getting hurt and then with Stafford getting hurt, and what happens to the offense and what happens to the skilled players and how, you know, it probably got harder to judge. But going last year with Bevel, he was averaging 20.8 points a game, um, of quarterbacks, he was averaging the highest de- average depth of target for points per, th- uh, for, for distance. So he's not just taking the little dinks and dunks. He's throwing it deep to Marvin Jones, to Galladay. You know, he's taking shots with Hawkinson was healthy at the beginning of the year. You know, there's a perfect storm of a lot of the pieces getting hurt. And especially when your quarterback goes down and you're not the Saints with Teddy Bridgewater as a backup, a whole team's going to suffer and it kind of sours everybody on it. Um, Stafford was also with a minimum of eight starts one of the only quarterbacks to throw two-plus touchdowns a game last year. So he's not just giving you these big boom games and maybe comes back to earth. You know, one thing about Ben, sometimes you see him for four touchdowns and 400 yards, and the next game he had, you know, two fumbles and 135 yards and a touchdown or something, you know. But Stafford is giving you a floor and a significant upside. So, you know, you're getting two or more touchdowns every game, and not only is he – fantasy relevant because the defense was not able to keep up and they offense was explosive and they were able to move the ball and score a lot of points. But also from like a real football standpoint, he was like top five or top six in QBR versus zone QBR versus blitz and versus man in all five and going into the season based off of the defenses last year, he has the eighth easiest strength of schedule for a quarterback for fantasy points. These stars are aligned. You give them swift, you give him, he's already throwing with the other rookies. He's throwing with the existing guys. Marvin Jones is coming back healthy. Just everything is lined up to there's where you can get a top 10 or top five quarterback possibly at the very end of the draft with either Ben or Stafford. You know, Stafford's my choice, but I would be okay with Ben. And I just, I don't see when you wait that long, there is zero downside with going like that. Like, I feel much better about that than a Baker or Joe or Tua you know, or a golf or a cousins, like those guys are going to be serviceable and streamable. I think these guys are guys that you may not have to take out of your lineup. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're talking about those names like Burrow and Tua and Kirk cousins and, you know, people of Nick Foles, other quarterbacks like that, who are all kind of, to me, you know, draftable pieces, but they're all kind of in the same to me after about, six or seven quarterbacks, there's really a, a real significant drop-off to me where, you know, from seven till about 20, you can pretty much pick your poison at quarterback, and you're going to get a quarterback who's probably going to be able to get you some weeks where he's scoring in the top 12, but then he's going to have some weeks where he's down. But, you know, some of these quarterbacks that you're talking about, you know, with Ben Roethlisberger, 
and Matt Stafford. I kind of felt like you just you blew your Stafford load all over right there because man, those were some gaudy Matt, Matt Stafford stats if I've ever heard some. Hey, look, people are people have been hammering Stafford love and like you know Ben. You know, I don't have the stats necessarily to support. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan, but there is true value there. But people are hammering me on the Stafford stuff, so I came to defend my guy. There, there is some, you know, there is some method to the madness, and everything is there to support it. And I'm gonna go all in. I will put my money where my mouth is. Um, so I'm looking forward to my opportunity to get snaked by somebody else, and then Stafford get his back hurt, and they blame me because they snaked my guy. And it's your fault because you took him. He wouldn't got hurt if you let me draft him. So don't fuck me, people. So are you saying that when you draft Matt Stafford, he doesn't get hurt? I coach him better. I just I would coach him better. If he's on another team, I can't be responsible. So right now he fits into my scheme. So you build your team how you want, but he's gonna be better on my team. So leave him for <laughs> and I guess that you know, that's probably my biggest concern is him staying healthy. He certainly has the talent around him with DeAndre Swift coming in and the you know the the, re- the, the pieces that wide receiver with Galladay and Jones and Hawkinson. Well, so I mean they they've got the talent. You brought up Tannehill. What quarterback who drafted a quarterback that ended up with Tannehill? Somebody like Ben or Stafford, you know, somebody that was shopping, you know, so you, if you're waiting, by the way, if you're waiting this long, you are willing to stream quarterbacks. Like you're not drafting your quarterback in the 12th round and necessarily planting your flag and saying, that's my guy for the season, you know, come 40 mile an hour wind and rain and a hurricane. I'm starting it because that's, you know, whoever it is. Like at this point, that's not what you're looking at. If you are putting draft equity into Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, and, you know, depending on where you put Brady and these, you know, even Rodgers and Breeze, like I'm not never committed to a quarterback any given week, but I definitely won't be for where I got these guys. So I would be willing to do that. Um, and one name that we're not going to talk about, I won't dive in on, but the guy that could be league winner-esque would be that is uh, Drew Locke, just because all the hype there. So I think his draft, I don't think he's a value right now because he's been moving up. That's kind of why I went with my other guys. But, you know, everything's in place for Locke to succeed and kind of make a big second, you know, second year jump similar to your um, Daniel Jones pick. So I kind of think he falls into that. So we don't need to dive into it, but just kind of another name for that late round value that could have some real upside other than all those other people I talked about. I think that they're, they're significant upside with the people we talked about. Uh, that you know that's an interesting name to to be heard because they they've got you know some good young pieces in offense in Denver too so uh, you know that would be very I'm very interested to see how Drew Lock develops I hope we get some training camp and some preseason so we can kind of see him play a little bit I really want to see how he's going to develop and I do think he has that potential to to take that next step so uh, we'll see what happens with that but moving on to running back you know the two names I've got here for running back and. These are names that I don't really traditionally draft and I actually try to stray away from. But to me, they present such value at running back um, that you really can't ignore their value despite maybe you know their injury history or just lack of skills. Um, but my first running back on the board and uh, is Jordan Howard, you know, with the Miami Dolphins with a you know ADP of one hundred nine. Um, you know, Jordan Howard was someone who was fairly serviceable, serviceable last year. He played in ten games. Uh, he rushed for five twenty-five with Philadelphia and six touchdowns. He had a four point four yard per game average. Um, he even caught ten passes for sixty-nine yards and a touchdown. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't terrible in Philadelphia. And now he goes over to Miami, where he's pretty much the one A right now. Uh, Miami trades, uh, you know, makes a draft day trade with San Francisco, uh, ships a middle round pick over to San Fran with Matt uh, to bring Matt Breida in, who I think is going to have a role in this offense more in like a third down role, and certainly Breida presents a higher PPR of uh, a ceiling than someone maybe like a Jordan Howard potentially, but Breida gets, you know, he often is injured, often has an ankle injury or something like that. You know, he's always great when he's on the field, but the problem with Breida is he's hardly ever on the field because he's always got an ankle injury or a knee injury or a thigh injury or whatever other leg injury you can possibly have. But, someone's going to have to run the fucking football in Miami. And, you know, you're going to have Fitzpatrick there who's probably going to give way to two, I would say, you know, probably around the eight to 12 game mark. And at that point, 
you know, Jordan Howard is your 1A running back. He, he's going to be fed – I think he's going to be fed a good amount of the football here because um, I don't think Caleb Balazs is an answer over in Miami. He's, to me, he's terrible. And I think Matt Morita is going to be there to dispel Howard. But really on your first and second downs and at the goal line, you know, Jordan Howard could just as easily uh, rush for 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns next year. And that would be that would be good enough to return you know, low-end RB2, high-end RB3 numbers. And you're talking about picking someone at pick 109, right? No, he. I, I would have had him as one of mine if you want to send it earlier. Um, I do think I think Breida also has some um, value because he's only being taken a few picks ahead of Howard. So I think either of them had the opportunity. Uh, Breida, I agree with everything you said about uh, Howard, and Breida may not be as far back only because he will have the higher TPR upside. So I do think that Howard will be them the higher end, but I think because of the catches, Breida could catch up some. And it's interesting to see because if it's Fitzpatrick, I think Howard definitely has more value because Fitzpatrick's not going to be dinking and dunking the running backs. If it is Tua, then Breida may end up with some more value. Um, but people forget, I mean, Jordan Howard was very good at in Philadelphia until he got banged up last year. You know, it wasn't the Miles Sanders show earlier. They tried, and Howard was just better at the beginning of the season. So, you know, especially with Flores coming in, and, you know, he's a, he's a Belichick guy. It's very much that feel of that LeGarrette Blunt, that trustworthy guy, not going to fumble the ball, you know, kind of how they used Sony a couple years ago. And it's just a very safe it, – it's very incredible value, especially in non-PPR. In PPR, that's why I think his ADP is falling so much. And I do think him and Breed are both going to be values where they're at. So uh, I definitely think that, you know, you can get a starting running back in, you know, the 11th round. You know, you, you're feeling pretty good about yourself because at that point you're probably going to be, you know, this is probably going to be your third, more likely your fourth running back off the board. Yeah, and, you know, he would probably go with, some, with you know, pairing with one of the rookie running backs like a Dobbins or a Jonathan Taylor or one of those types of rookie running backs because Howard is going to present value immediately. You know, when it when it's week one, Howard's going to be there to present your, present your value versus maybe a DeAndre Swift or a Dobbins who may take, you know, seven or eight games to really get on the field and start developing. You know, it's funny that you say it's Sonny Michelle because Sonny Michelle is actually my second running back um, who's a sleeper. And, you know, he's not someone I normally draft. In fact, last year, I remember you and I having a conversation about Sonny Michelle. And I remember telling you I was down on him because I just don't trust his health. I don't trust his knee. But it's hard to ignore where he's being drafted at right now. He has an ADP of 104, which again, you know, that's right around Jordan Howard. And again, someone has to run the football in, uh, in new England. And, you know, they drafted Sonny Michelle on the first round for a reason. I know they have Rex Burkhead. I know they have James white and I know they have, you know, uh, a rookie quarterback possibly with Jared said, I'm actually, you know, in his second year, possibly being starter, but if Sonny Michelle is healthy, he's going to be catching that rock and he's going to be getting the rock a lot. And to me, you know, at, and with the ADP of 104, to me, you know, you're taking someone who probably is around the 40th running back off the board around that time. And he's someone who could easily return RB2 value if he stays healthy and stays on the field, because that's really been what has held Sony Michelle back, you know, his first couple of years in the seat in the league, he just can't stay healthy. And that's just ultimately been his problem. Right. Well, I'll use him to pivot to one of my guys. So I, to me, one of the craziest values, which in general, what we're talking about at running back, what this proves to me is I want to draft running back early. I don't want to go look for value at running back late in my draft. I want to be set very early. And if something happens where one of these guys land in the right spot, so be it. But that's why I'm okay taking Stafford and I'm okay taking the rod receivers that I'm going to mention and my tight ends that I'm going to mention as my starters. I don't want this shit at my starting running back. I don't want them to have to be an option. I'd rather them be a very much a luxury pick. So the one thing about all this, you know, the sleepers or the values, it drops off hard at running back in a hurry where other got, many of these other positions have significant values late. Uh, but off of your Sony, you know, James White going at 115 overall, almost around later. And to me, New England has the hardest schedule based off of this past year, going into the year with Stidham at quarterback or Hoyer, whichever way it is. And either way, they're going to need somebody to check it down to. That's why I'm okay with all the Edelman shares, shares I get at late values that they're coming. And James White, uh, he's outside. Of, he, he probably is the most dynamic skill player they have. 
based off of just what he is going to be able to do in the space that he's going to have versus Edelman's not that Edelman's a catch and, you know, make a, you know, make a quick play, but nothing that's going to, you know, shake anybody out of their shoes at this point. You know, he has an opportunity for yards after the catch. There's going to be a lot of catches there and there could be significant negative game scripts, which is something New England has not been in. Um, you know, they've gone to hurry up mode at the end of the house where James White gets some loves in the bigger, harder games, but every week, People are going to smell blood in the water and know New England's weak, and this is the year. And if they have the opportunity, they're going to try to punish them. So I do think that the Sony pick is good because they will be trying to run the ball to control some clock. But ultimately, I think that they're going to be chasing a lot this year, and James White is going to be a lot of that freaking recovery trying to make those plays. You know, I don't think he's going to have two years ago that touchdown number because I don't think New England's offense is going to be that. But I think that the volume between the carries and the touches uh, are going to be – superior to a lot of the running backs in this range. You know, you make a really good point about uh, about James White there. I really didn't think about, you know, potential garbage time production with him because, I mean, let's be honest, New England and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady um, did not ease up on anybody when they were playing. They they certainly took the time to, to blow out plenty of teams in their division and, you know, across the AFC. So I'm sure there are some teams who would love to give them some payback. So you're right. I, I think the Patriots could very well end up chasing a lot of teams this year. And I, I definitely think, you know, with a negative game script like that, that is total James White territory. And to get someone like a James White, uh, you know, around later with an ADP of 115, you know, that's that's putting you around around the 10th, 11th round. I mean, that that's a pretty good return for someone who, who specifically usually stays pretty healthy. And, you know, if, if it's Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer in there, I think both of them would certainly rely on James White a lot to dump the ball off to as kind of a safety net instead of trying to push the ball downfield. And James White could certainly be the beneficiary. So, that man, that makes a, whole, a hell of a lot of sense. And just, just hearing that makes me kind of want to move James White up my board a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, obviously we're going to re-rank all this as it goes, but I feel really good. You know, I'm, I'm a James White guy, but, you know, I'm also, you know, been a New England offense guy because they, you know, once you find the positions that work, you want to, you know, make sure you double down on that with them previously. This year, you know, like we said multiple times, not sure where that's going to be, but I do think the hate's gone too far on all the New England guys, you know. Uh, you know, and even in Dynasty, I think the receivers, you know, have a lot of um, upside, and I think they're going to give um, – Damian Harris will look too, which is why I would be a little more down on Sony because I think that there could be opportunities there if there is chink in that armor and Sony's not getting it done because they don't have to play to win, if you will, this year. You know, they could the season could go away and they know what they have in Sony and where he's at health wise. You know, let the rookie come in, look to shop Burkhead. You know, a lot of these guys that are the Patriot way may be moving on. Um, I'm going to completely pivot. You know, I had a couple guys that I was kind of around, you know, felt good about what saw something on Twitter earlier and it kind of went to something I've been supporting on the podcast. And I'm going to go Naheem Hines, who <laughs> is not even freaking listed on ADP. So don't even draft him. Just wait. Don't draft a kicker or draft him instead of a kicker and just wait before week one and then figure out what you need to do, who gets banged up. But, um, you know, coaches came out today. Frank Wright came out today and was, you know, they've talked about how Taylor and Mac are going to be a one-one punch and hammer, hammer, hammer. But the one thing they said is they are forcing and keeping Naheem Hines in that third down role and then go into now they're even going further expanded to what Rivers' capabilities are and being able to get the ball out of his hand so quickly to the running backs and try to utilize that more. You know, Naheem Hines is being forced into the game plan is going to be a serious value. And one thing that Jonathan Taylor isn't going to do is take away those touches from Hines, especially if that's where they trust him, whether it's the pass protection and the catching. So, you know, I just think you're getting a guy that's undrafted that is going to be a solid third down back with Mr. Chet down himself in a, you know, dynamic offense with a lot of pieces. You know, it's, you know, again, we're not talking about necessarily league winners at these running back spots. You're looking for values that could have some upside and, you know, I base this off of PPR, so a lot of this, you know, goes that way where I know that there's going to be a floor with these guys and maybe you get the lucky touchdown and a big play. And Hines has that ability behind an amazing, you know, offensive line and with the quarterback to support it as well. So I think that, you know, it's similar to how, you know, Tariq Cohen was on my list, James White, you know, guys like that that have value 
Um, I don't like that Heinz has to compete with two other people, but I think that they're more competing with each other than they are with Heinz. You know, Breed is going to have value because him and Howard are two very different players and they're going to run multiple backs. You know, again, looking for the values that these offenses where you don't have these three down running backs or 75% of the work running backs, you know, that's why go running back early. But I think that you're going to get serious value off of this and nobody's even drafting him. Yeah, that that's it's that's it's really not bad bad thinking because Nathan Lyons, you know, it wasn't you know two years ago in his rookie season where he wasn't you know he was a flex play in PPR leagues because there was games where he was catching you know, six seven eight balls um, from Andrew Luck and you know they were you know moving the ball downfield and Nathan Hines was a really big part of that offense and then you know last year he really was kind of nowhere to be found he really took a step back. Um, but, you know, Marlon Mack is just, to me, someone who's really not that talented. I would really love to see a Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines backfield over a, you know, split time with Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines on third down. I, I think and that, and that other, that's another thing, you know, about you know, Naheem Hines and the coaches coming out and telling them, you know, talking to him about, you know, how his skills are and what kind of role he's going to have in the offense. But to me, I think, you know, them talking about that kind of maybe brings Jonathan Taylor down just a hair because, you know, they were talking about maybe possibly getting him involved in, you know, some type of three down work. You know, could you see, you know, a Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler type of situation here where, you know, Hines is the Eckler and Taylor is the Gordon. Right. And here's, here's Reich's quote either today or yesterday. Philip, talking about Rivers, has an uncanny ability to get the ball to the backs. Naheem will be very much integrated into the game plan on all three downs. Still enough snaps for him to be very, very productive this year. Very productive. You know, like some of that is coach talk, but it can't all be coach talk when it just makes sense. And it's, it's everything he said is true. It's not just, oh, we want to get this guy going. You know, like they're not talking up Mac. Oh, no, we feel really good about Mac. You know, it's going to be a – it's going to be a one-one thing. He's our guy, you know, rah-rah. Like, this is like football talk that, you know, this is the quarterback strength. This is this player's strength. Oh, look, it fucking plays well together, you know. So, And you're not going to have just that third down. So, I think, like you said, it, it is unfortunately, especially early, going to be a three-headed monster. But I don't think he is going to get the hit. Like, he is going to have value. If you draft him and Mac, Mac's going, I don't even know how many. He's probably going, you know, around 100. I think I saw him. I didn't write him down because I don't think it – think he's a value well but, if you ask your brother he probably goes in like round four hey hey look you know what jeff does jeff okay you can <laughs> just you said it I, I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm an asshole if i say it but you know what <laughs> he's a hero god damn it but anyways i digress so you know i i'm, I'm i went in on hans i saw the tweet actually about an hour before and i started looking at it and had pulled up right here um on uh, pro football talk so uh, you know, I just, you know, I, I did have names, you know, I think Keyshawn Vaughn, even Rojo, you know, same thing with the Dolphins guys. And one thing that I realized when I was picking my players, all of my players, for the most part, are coming off of teams that had down years last year. And almost all those teams had banged up quarterbacks, um, regardless of if it was running back receiver or obviously the quarterbacks themselves. So all of this is like comeback type stuff. So it's people that have proven that it's being capable, you know, it's, so I kind of looked at it, you know, I know you're saying sleepers for some of these guys with big upsides. Like mine's more like value because they've proven to be able to do it. And there's been one reason or another that's just not being respected. And most of the time it's what have you done for me lately? And all these people that I've picked are getting penalized from the previous year. Well, you know what? It's a fucking new year and everybody's healthy going into week one, theoretically. So, you know, I, that's it's just I think there's a lot of this. You know, you don't want some of what you saw last year you want to make educated decisions about but also understand why it happened. You know, the Jets are bad for multiple reasons, but one of which mainly is Sam Darnold had mono at the beginning of the year. So base that off of consideration. Ben and Stafford got hurt. Everybody's going to return value. The Colts have a completely different quarterback that should be better than what they had. So there's a lot of things you need to take into consideration when you look at these late round guys and just not vomiting all over yourself. Well, and it makes total sense because we're going to swing the wide receiver right now, and one of the guys on my list is Anthony Miller. And, you know, you talk about situations that some of these players are in, you know, like some of the guys you're talking about with Naheem Hines. 
And, you know, I'm talking about Anthony Miller and, and, you know, he's got, you know, he had Mitchell Trubisky last year who can barely hit the broad side of a barn, you know, much less trying to, you know, hit some of their receivers. It's, it's really amazing that Allen Robinson did as well as he did with Mitchell Trubisky. But, uh, you know, this is Anthony Miller's third year in this offense. Um, you know, he was really heralded talent coming out of Memphis. Um, he has shown flashes, but he has had some consistency problems, uh, you know, in his first season, you know, he had seven touchdowns, but then last year he kind of took a step back, you know, while he did take a step back in the touchdown department, he had still managed to pick up 52 receptions, 656 yards. And he is someone who, you know, to me, his situation automatically improves with Nick Foles coming in. You know, and I'm not saying Nick Foles is a world beater, but Nick Foles can certainly throw the fucking football much better than Mitchell Trubisky. And to me, uh, I think you kind of move both Robinson and Anthony Miller up just a little bit in that offense because of Nick Foles coming in there, who to me is certainly a better passer. I know they added Jimmy Graham as a, you know, a tight end who's you know basically on his last leg, but. Uh, to me, you know, Robinson and Anthony Miller get, you know, a little upgrade in this offense. You know, will they, you know, dedicate a little more, uh, a little more of the ball to David Montgomery? Or are they going to still, you know, play around with Tariq Cohen and, you know, do what they do with him? And to me, last year, they were just way too gadgety with, with Tariq Cohen. And they never really got into any grooves or any, you know, any type of, you know, smoothness on offense. And if they would just give David Montgomery the football and, you know, let him run a little bit, you know, do a little passing, maybe mix in a little Cohen every now and then, but not as much as they did. They might have a little more consistency offense. And I hope that's what Nick Foles can bring. And with Anthony Miller, you know, having an ADP of 119, you know, he certainly can bring value. Someone who you're going to draft in the 12th or 13th round, who's probably going to be your, you know, wide receiver five, maybe even wide receiver six at that point, you know, and someone who could certainly return uh, some wide receiver three value. You know, he is going into his third year. Um, you know, a lot of receivers have those third year breakout seasons. And I think he's certainly poised to do so in this offense with Nick Foles. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if Foles can support, you know, that many people, especially with seven tight ends are going to be in the field at any given play. But it's it, – I, I like the Miller pick. I think if uh, Nagy can get fired early in the year, there's serious opportunity they can actually run a professional – offense so that would be very good for everybody but you know it's it, it's really all comes down to fold because i do think that you know miller has taken a much more historically traditional uh wide receiver path that where there could be a legitimate wide uh, year three breakout and opposite of you know a, a pretty legit number one receiver with what should be a competent running game so there is everything there for it to work if Nagy is capable of calling that game and Foles is capable of allowing those receivers to succeed, that's, that is my only hesitation. I don't think I, I, it's not against the player. It's against that. And some of that is, you know, what I just argued against is that last year bias. I just, I don't know. I think I always just, Nick Foles is a guy and he gets hot and he's done it at the right times, but he just doesn't seem like, if, if, if given normal circumstances, Nick Foles doesn't work out. Like, he has to be – he only operates in chaos. He is a little finger. Like, he has to operate he, – he can't operate when things are normal. He only – he succeeds when, you know, chaos is unfolding around him, and that's when he excels, which is a credit to him. But, you know, I, he'll have every opportunity, but I can also see this front office going, you know, making their true quarterback competition and Foles doing like he did, you know, having a bad game and then benching him. And then, you know, maybe bringing him back. And, you know, it's just – and the whole thing just turns into a shit show. So, I like the player. And if it works out, it's because, you know, the, the Bears offense should be chugging and they should be handing the ball to Montgomery more and running a normal-looking offense. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that that's obviously the big question mark with Chicago and Matt Nagy. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Miller certainly has the talent. But, you know, we'll see what Matt Nagy uh, decides to do. Um Benson, who else you got over there on your uh, – your, who's your first wide receiver here tonight? Well, I'm going to stay in uh, Detroit and just compare the stats of Kenny Galladay, who's being drafted 24th right now, versus Marvin Jones, who's being drafted at 116. Okay? For through the first eight games, when Marvin Jones got banged up, Stafford got banged up. Kenny Galladay, 35 catches. Marvin Jones, 42. Kenny Galladay, 640 yards. Marvin Jones, 535. 
Kenny seven touchdowns, Marvin six touchdowns. Kenny seventeen point four points per game, Marvin Jones sixteen point five. Less than one point separated them in the eight games they played together with a healthy offense. You know, Marvin Jones never has gotten the respect he has deserved. He is always treated as a wide receiver three that always pushes wide receiver two numbers, you know, but they had a true one, one situation and he significantly affects, you know, Kenny's value in putting him in that upper echelon, that upper tier of wide receiver because how capable he is and how professional Stafford is and not honing in on one guy. So, you know, you're getting almost identical numbers, a hundred picks later. Uh, I will take that every day. And that's why I said load up on running back early because my two guys, like I will start my season with Marvin Jones as my wide receiver three and feel really good about it. Like, because I'm going to have him and, you know, Anthony Miller and the next two guys we're going to talk about, because I know I can get these guys later and they're going to not only serve, but they're going to probably exceed expectations because they got banged up last year and it wasn't like some career ending injury. And it was a combination of the quarterback going down. So it's just, there's no reason. And there may be more reason to pull back on Kenny Galladay. Now I do think the talents there and it is going to supersede and he does have significant uh, point value per catch because of the, routes he runs and the catches he's exposed to but Marvin Jones is very very good at football and as long as he is getting the ball delivered to him and he's on the field he is going to provide points and perform so definitely feel much better about getting a couple receivers early and then loading up very late after I have like four running backs that I feel good about because you know one or two of them are going to get banged up you know, you make a really interesting point about Marvin Jones. He is probably year in and year out the most disrespected wide receiver in fantasy football. Uh, I can't think of a more disrespected wide receiver in fantasy football than Marvin Jones. He is someone who's constantly drafted in the double-digit rounds, who is constantly producing, you know, at least at minimum when he's on the field, wide receiver three value. And it's really amazing that, you know, he does have a little bit of an injury history, and that probably is plays into, you know, where his ADP is at right now. Um, so that is kind of part of it. But when he is on the field, he returns really good value. And those numbers you just kind of spit out, you know, comparing him to Kenny Galladay, that, that's really amazing because Galladay right now is being drafted in the third round uh, in your PPR leagues for wide receiver. And then, you know, you're talking about someone like Marvin Jones, who, you know, had similar numbers to Kennedy Galladay last year that the first game, eight games of the season. And he's being drafted almost, you know, eight, eight nine rounds later. Um, it, it's amazing. And Jones was another name on my, uh, on my list, but I ended up, ultimately ended up going with Brandon Cooks. Cooks returns, uh, you know, over to Houston now after he gets traded from uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and he goes into an opportunity now with, you know, Deshaun Watson, who's a, he's a great quarterback. He doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. You know, he's got the Daniel Fells of the world. He's got Will Fuller. He's got Kiki Kuti. Um, and, you know, he's got some other receivers already signed, Randall Cobb. Um, so you've got a lot of receivers there, but you really don't have that true number one. And I think that's what Brandon Cooks ultimately was brought into Houston to be, is that number one. Because when you look at some of Brandon Cooks' numbers over the past, you know, five, six seasons, whether it's been with New Orleans or New England or the Rams, he has put up some pretty solid numbers outside of last year now. One thing about Brandon Cooks that is one of the problems with him is he he's a concussion away from, you know, potentially being out of football for a while. I think he's had five concussions in the past two years, and that's a big big problem uh, for someone like Brandon Cooks, who's already smaller, a smaller receiver on the field. But when he is on the field, he did produce. You know, before last season, you know, his this was his last four years stretch for the receptions: eighty four, seventy eight, sixty five, and eighty followed with the yardage, 1138, 1173, 1082, and 1204. So this is someone who typically produces when he's on the field, but can he stay healthy? And if he does, uh, Deshaun Watson may find a favorite new target uh, in Brandon Cooks. And, you know, you were talking about uh, around ADP of 115. You know, this is around, you know, Anthony Miller and some of the other receivers we've talked about. And this is someone who can be had in the, you know, 10th or 11th round at a reasonable value. Um, and could potentially return even wide receiver two value if he stays healthy. But again, the concussion problem is a big issue for Brandon Cooks, and that's 
probably one of the reasons why his ADP is in the triple digits right now. Right, and that, that's exactly what I was going to say, because half of the people I've mentioned are all coming back from injury, yet I don't necessarily feel like any of them are injury-prone to the point where any given hit's going to knock them out for the season. Uh, that could be the case with Cooks. You know, Marvin Jones was hurt, not necessarily injury-prone. Stafford and Ben, Ben is always hurt, but he always also plays. You know, I mean, it took a very small injury to a very important part of the body. You know, if, if just his knee would have been torn up, Ben probably would have been out there playing, but his damn throwing elbow. So he didn't have a choice. So I just, the, the one thing that does push that ADP down, now there is a lot of just bad blood in Houston, and Bill O'Brien is driving, to his credit, driving down the draft stock of all of the Texans. And that's not fair because they are still going to score points and be productive because Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I completely agree with everything you said. And people are going to be like, well, you know, Cook's lost. He wasn't worth a shit. And you know, was it consistent with uh, the Rams? Well, throughout his career, he's only played with Hall of Famers. And then he went to Jared Goff. So now he's going to Deshaun Watson, which is much closer to Breeze and Brady than Goff ever will be. So th- everything lines up. You know, he is going to have an opportunity. I wish – and Cooks is a – proficient route runner like he has not he he has the ability to go deep and was often used like that in new england because of the other pieces they had around him and he also fit that role with everything they had in uh los angeles but he is going to they have will fuller there and right now they still have kenny stills so right now cooks is the route runner of this group you know other than randall cobb like seriously though but he's going to be asked to be the true number one and have an opportunity to put up numbers and he is lined up to probably have one of the best years that he's had, which is saying something for how productive he has been. But even you got to think that like, even at the saints and in new England, like if he was air quotes, the best receiver on the team, he never got treated like Michael Thomas or Randy Moss or Edelman did, you know, as far as like getting that type of wide receiver one treatment and volume. And we knew that the, you know, golf and McVay spread it out a whole lot between all three guys. So this is an opportunity with a very depleted receiving core where he actually could get treated and fed like a number one receiver. And it'd be very interesting to see as long as he doesn't take a, you know, a shot to the head, if he, that can, what those numbers are going to look like. Yeah. And that, that's really what it comes down to it. You know, he, he is and you know, a concussion away from couldn't potentially being out of the season. So, uh, you know, we'll see how, how that shakes out. Um, that's who, who you got over there is your last receiver over there. My last receiver, shockingly, when I started diving into it, um, some stuff about him. But I'm going to go Jameson Crowder. Jameson Crowder is going, looks like, later than everybody we've talked about, going at 119, so deep in the 13th round. And Jameson Crowder, last year, was wide receiver 26 in PPR. And nobody's going to accuse anybody on the Jets team of performing. But somehow, last year, Crowder is pushing wide receiver two numbers. Now, he had a couple of ridiculous games that skewed the stats throughout the season, but they lost Robbie Anderson. Sam Darnold was not healthy for for who knows how long it took him to actually get his legs under him. And they bring in a rookie, Brashad Perriman. Crowder is going to be the safety net. He is going to be trusted. And did you know that Jamison Crowder is only 26 years old? That's that's pretty young. I mean, that, that's, I, I, that's I feel like he's been around. I feel like him and Santana Moss play together. Like that's how old <laughs> Jamison Crowder is. Like how Washington ages people ten years at least. Like if you play for the Redskins, you just die. But you know, Crowder, surprisingly enough, is the one person that is safe from the serial killer Adam Gase because he plays in the slot. And the one thing Adam Gase does is feed a slot machine. Like that's what he does. You know, most men go in and play blackjack. Or they want to get crazy and go to the poker room. Or you know what? Let's get fucking drunk and play some roulette. No. Adam Getty sits at the penny slots and fucking wastes his night winning $1 at a time and losing 20 But that works when you're shoving 100 fucking pennies up Jameson Crowder and you're getting PPR after PPR after PPR. Like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the penny slot of the serial killer and his own gambling addiction. And I'm going to ride that all the way to the bank. Because now you literally are getting almost a wide receiver two after everybody we talked about. And if I have Marvin Jones and Jamison Crowder in my wide receiver three and my backup wide receiver, or I have to start a flex because maybe I went, you know, big on tight end early and maybe I reached for a quarterback, like 
I'm going to score points and I'm going to not be pretty and I'm going to get, you know, the old man label. James Crowder is fucking 26, okay? I know we all think he's that old, but, like, he is in a good spot. And then on top of everything, he's 26 in ranking and in age. He had a 27% uncatchable rate with a minimum of 100 attempts. He had the tied fourth worst ability to catch the fucking ball last year and still finish where he finished. So between the shitty quarterback play, Darnold being banged up, this there is no reason for him to fall nearly as far as he does, um, especially when you look at the people he's grouped around. Which one thing I can say that I, I, did, I, I didn't go for the low hanging fruit and, you know, just play par for the course, but pretty much any rookie wide receiver is a value because everybody's going late because it's the unknown. So whatever you do, however you load up your team, fucking take a dart at any of those guys because everybody that we've talked about, there's the high end guys going above it, but Ruggs, Rager, Jefferson, Mims, and Pittman are all going at 108 or later. Now, I'm not saying get two of those guys or three of those guys or depend on any of these guys, but throw a dart on the one you like the best and see what happens. Man, you know, you talk about some of those ADPs with Jefferson, Mims, and, you know, Judy. You know, if I had my option, and look, I can vouch for someone like Jameson Crowder. I had Jameson Crowder last year, one of my teams that uh, ultimately won me a championship. But uh, he was he was very studly last year, and, you know, he returns to the Jets this year. And if you think about some of the training camps that we're not going to have, you know, some of the OTAs that you're not going to see, you know, Sam Darnold needs time to develop some rapport with some of those new receivers that he's got. You know, he's got Denzel Mims coming in from Baylor. He's got Brashad Perriman coming in from Tampa Bay, who, you know, may or may not, you know, be a, a good compliment to Jameson Crowder over there. But, you know, Sam Darnold has to develop rapport with these guys. You know, you have 150 you know, targets vacated with uh, Robbie Anderson leaving. And now you have Jameson Crowder there who has a pretty good rapport with Darnold. Darnold certainly seems to favor uh, Crowder. And you know, Crowder can be had for uh, an 11th, 12th round pick. If if I had my choice versus for Crowder or uh, Justin Jefferson or, you know, uh, Jerry Judy, I'm taking Crowder because I know that Crowder can easily return wide receiver three numbers. And, you know, I'm getting him in the double digit rounds versus a rookie who is pretty much unknown at this point. Well, and take Crowder. And then take whatever rookie didn't get picked the next round, you know, like because there's still going to be one. They're, you're probably not going to have a run of six. And another thing, like about all my values that I've done that we've talked about tonight, minus Naheem Hines, who has a new quarterback, everybody is back with their quarterback from last year or the quarterback is coming back to the team that they've ran for many, many years. So it's, 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 it's about the fit and how quickly these can rebound, you know. That's why maybe, you know, like I'd be a little more – hesitant of Bridgewater to Daniel Jones just because Daniel Jones has had that year and there's a more comfort there's there's less to worry about in all these very unnormal times they're going to be practicing through so you know everything that you know if you're looking for these values late there's going to be safe with upside you know there's a whole lot of just safe floor guys but you know try to give you people that have a chance to more than pay it back for yeah, um, switching over to our last position, tight end, and you know uh, these couple names that I've got over here, uh, looking at tight end. One name in particular who really kind of tickles my fanny uh, is uh, old man, uh, white boy Jack Doyle uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. You know he comes in, he's in there, uh, he's been there for the Colts for the last three or four seasons now, and you know tight end loving Philip Rivers comes in, and you know let's be honest, Philip Rivers loves his tight ends, and Jack Doyle, someone who could be a, a great big beneficiary. You know Jack Doyle has an ADP of one thirty six right now, which uh, in most leagues he's probably not even going to get drafted. So if you're you know part of this tight end market who's going to wait on tight end, Jack Doyle can be an excellent you know piece for someone who in a the PPR league could easily catch 80 balls for, you know, eight, 900 yards and four or five touchdowns and easily return top 12 value. And you're talking about someone who you could probably end up picking with your last pick. Now I will say with tight end, I think there is a fairly significant drop off after say the top seven or eight tight ends come off the board. Um, I think you can kind of pick your poison uh, after say someone like Evan Ingram, you know, maybe even throw a Jared Cook into that mix. But after those names, I really think it's kind of a, a pick your poison and you could almost wait until the last round to get someone like a Jack Doyle, who is to me is going to return, you know, pretty solid value as long as he stays healthy. Phillip Rivers, you know, loves the key on the tight ends. 
uh, Jack Doyle is a you know great you know passing catch tight end, pass catching tight end. So I think they, it's kind of like a match made in heaven for someone you know you're looking at in this late value at one thirty six. Uh, Easily, I think, is a very nice, nice deep sleeper for someone who's, you know, waiting on tight end. Sure, and I agree with what you were saying about the the layout and the landscape of the tight end position where it does go much deeper than people felt it went last year. But there, I do think there's a significant drop-off, but then there's a large grouping where I don't know why you would want to reach for a mid-round tight end when I don't feel necessarily better about uh, – Noah Fant or, you know, an Austin Hooper than I do about anybody that we're probably going to talk about tonight. Um, I'll just go ahead and lump my guys together because they're essentially the same type of guy. But, you know, Johnu Smith and Ian Thomas, just, you know, two guys that were both behind oft-injured elderly statesmen with Greg Olson and Delaney Walker, who were both very serviceable and very probably good mentors. And you have to expect that being in the tight end room with those guys and learning from their experiences and still being on the field and getting a lot of playing time because of the, either the injuries or the two tight end sets where these guys now step in as the number ones on their team with no real threat behind them and very athletic, big fucking guys that are going to offer significant value on the back end. I just wish I knew between that group, you know, I, who, was really the offense was going to focus on, and that's where it's a little more difficult. I think you kind of have an idea with Smith. I do think that there's a very safe floor. I'm not sure what that upside is, but I don't think Tannehill is going to play with reckless abandon all year like he did at the end of last year to win the job. He got paid. He's probably going to play more effective and a little more cautious, so I doubt there's going to be you know just bombs after bombs. But if you're pounding people with Derrick Henry, best thing that works in play action is the deep shot in the middle of the field. And that's where Johnny Smith is going to be living all day. So you got a whole lot of value there. And really where you only have A.J. Brown, there's a whole lot of guys there, none of which they're just, you know, a real alpha. And A.J. Brown did not demand a lot of targets. He made plays after the catch that made him so valuable. So I think that, you know, Johnny Smith is going to uh, push the target leader. Um, you know, he'll be probably second or third on the team as far as, you know, it'd be a lower volume, but again, a higher floor for the tight end. And then, Ian Thomas, I'm very interested to see how this offense utilizes him. You know, the wide receivers are going to be fighting for time, but Ian Thomas is probably always going to be on the field. You know, uh, McCaffrey is going to eat up a lot of carries. So, you know, he probably is going to be limited in some of his upside, but you're looking for somebody that's going to play every week that's going to be in a highly efficient offense you would expect and somebody that's going to be throwing a lot at the end of time. And he could, a la Austin Hooper, and just garbage time the shit out of people at the end of the games next year when that defense has given up 40. You know, I kind of wanted to go with Hayden Hurst, but it's kind of low-hanging fruit because he's going to step in, you know, to that role. But really, I agree with you. You know, there's a just a big drop-off from where, you know, you're looking at Hunter Henry, Jared Cooker drafted at 62. And then after, you know, if you want to go down to Evan Ingram at 76, these guys – and then you get down to these, you know, 130s, you know, your last pick in the draft. And, again – you can start these guys week one. I'm not saying start every body we talked about tonight. Just because I'm comfortable starting these people does not mean I'm trading my first and second round picks for all your 10th and 11th round picks. You know, it's what you put around your team to like, okay, I know I can take my shot at tight end because I loaded up at these other positions, or I know I can run with these older um, receivers that have proven experience because I took some gambles on some guys earlier and I need some safe points. So again, it's all about how you're positioning your team to where you should feel comfortable with these guys. But I can absolutely see in any draft where all these guys are going to pay dividends and have value. You know, and what's crazy about it is, you know, the, the draft, the, the tight end pool to me is extremely deep this year. And, you know, a lot of these, some of these guys all won't even get drafted. There's a good chance, you know, Jack Doyle or, you know, a Mike Jasicki goes undrafted. You know, Mike Jasicki was my other tight end I had on here with an ADP of 128. You know, and, and this is – I'm going to read this out to you as his target share. Uh, say his last eight games, 6, 6, 6, 7, 7, 5, 8, 12, and 7. That's someone to me who's heavily involved in the offense – um, and now, you know, Fitzpatrick is going to be there. He'll probably, you know, start the first handful of games. And, you know, Fitzpatrick obviously looked 
for you know Mike Jasicki in this offense. You know, he's got another year under his belt. Jasicki's coming into his third year, and he certainly kind of showed that part last year. Uh, you know, later on in the season, as he got going, and that offense kind of started clicking a little bit with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know they were you know playing a lot behind with garbage time, but at the same time, Jasicki was on the field getting reps and you know getting repetition and re- catches and receptions from uh, from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So to me, he's another guy who has you know some good upside value. And like like you said, you're throwing a dart um, after say nine to 20 tight ends here in that in that market you know there's gonna be a lot of guys here who are are you could essentially stream tight end uh this year and possibly do it effectively with some of the names that are floating out there yeah and and feel comfortable i mean you know this whole thing is just loaded with opportunity i mean a lot of people are some people are really pushing the jargon wagon and then you know you look at chris herndon who didn't get the opportunity because of suspension and injuries with everybody else around him you know, is Irv Smith going to take a jump in this offense where you have a um, a rookie coming in at wide receiver? Kyle Rudolph is, you know, literally a ghost. And, you know, it, could he take that jump? So all sorts of opportunity um, for all these guys, which is why I'm staying away from, you know, people that are gaining steam like, uh, you know, a uh, even Noah Fant, who I think could have upside and should fall in this round, but for some reason he's going five rounds earlier. Like it just doesn't make sense when there are other skill players that, you know, I do think could separate themselves from the late guys. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, guys, I'm, I'm, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show tonight. I uh, really enjoyed talking some deep sleepers with you guys. I think on Thursday we're going to talk, you know, we kind of go back to our intro with, you know, booms, bus, sleepers. I think we should talk about some bus here on Thursday. You know, we'll talk about maybe some, uh, you know, early to mid, late round bust uh, on Thursday night. But other than that, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, certainly like talking about some sleepers and uh, if you get a chance give us a follow on twitter at fantasy pandemic otherwise hope you guys have a great night can't wait till thursday everyone and remember knowledge is power